If you haven't been here, I just wanted to let you know that we've been going through a series called A Glimpse of God, and we've been going through Old Testament characters and asking the question, what do we learn about God through these Old Testament um, stories? And we end up learning a lot about those characters and a lot about ourselves in those stories as well. But our primary question is, what do we learn about God? And today we're looking at the story of King Josiah. And King Josiah, that's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament because my nephew is named Josiah. So it's a really special name um, to me. And Josiah is known for two things. He's known for being a really young king. And he's known for finding the book of the law. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, today. If you read through the Old Testament, you see the story of God's people. And God, God created all people, and he loves all people, but he chose Israel to be a blessing to other nations. He chose Israel to sh- demonstrate to all people what does it look like when a nation um, follows God. Unfortunately, when you read the Old Testament, you see that Israel failed time and time again to follow God. And you see this pattern of of God's people forsaking God and then God allowing uh, another nation to come and invade them and then Israel crying out to God and then God saving them. And that pattern just happens over and over in the story of Israel. And so that's kind of the historical setting for our story Today, King Josiah came from a long line of kings, and you can see even in his um, in his family line how that pendulum of following God and forsaking God kept swinging. His great grandfather was King Hezekiah, and Hez- the name Hezekiah even means "God is my strength." And Hezekiah was a good king. He followed, he followed God. He, he tore down the high places, which that's where they worshipped pagan gods. That's where they, they did a lot of um, really bad things on the high places. And he repaired the temple, and he led people back to God. And then um, he died, and his son Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, became king. And, and Manasseh swung the other way. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes when we read that, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, we kind of gloss over that word evil. Things were really, really bad. Um, He was worshiping Baal and Asherah, that he, he instituted prostitution as part of the worship. He, they practiced divination and witchcraft. He built altars to pagan gods in the temple. He even um, was so evil. Those Seahawk earrings sometimes. He even, we're going to pause a moment while I take my, my lovely Seahawk earrings off so that it doesn't mess up the sound. <laughs> Sorry about that. I do love my hawks, just so you know. So Manasseh, King Manasseh, he, he was so... He moved so far away from God that he sacrificed his own children to the God of fire, Molech. So when we say he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, it was really, it was really bad. And so God um, disciplined him and disciplined the nation by bringing in the Assyrians, and he was captured and imprisoned. And, and Scripture says very little about his imprisonment, but it says, um, the, the phrase just really got my attention, it says, in his distress, he humbled himself greatly before God. 
And when he humbled himself greatly before God, God heard him and God rescued him out of that and brought him back to Israel. And he stopped worshiping other gods and he started leading his country back into the worship of the one true God. And then he passed away and his son, the father of Josiah, Amon, became king. And it just says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just like his father Manasseh had, except he didn't humble himself. And so we see this back and forth, back and forth in the story of Josiah's family. And uh, Amon made some enemies, and he was murdered. And Josiah became king at the young age of eight years old. Eight years old. That's my Alyssa. Imagine giving her (laughs) power like that. I'm like, wow, that's really young. He became king, and we asked the question, so whom will Josiah choose to follow? Whom will he choose to follow? And that's where we pick up the story. So we're going to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 34. We're going to start in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he followed the ways of his father David, not turning to the right or to the left. So with a family heritage of both good and evil, it says Josiah chose to follow his father David, King David. So that's even higher up in his lineage. And David was called the man after God's own heart. He was a king that worshipped and followed God. And um, it's interesting, if you look at the names, David's name is called Beloved. In Second Kings, um, it also tells this story, and it gives us the name of Josiah's mother. Josiah's mother's was Jedidah, and Jedidah also means beloved. And it gives us the name of Josiah's maternal grandfather. His name was Adiah, and that, means, that name means witness of God. And so as we ask, whom will Josiah choose? It doesn't tell us who taught him about God, but I wonder, was it his mother? Was it his maternal grandfather? Someone in his family heritage even with such a wicked father, taught him about God, and he chose to follow um, the ways of King David, the ways of God. So let's continue the story in verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, so he's 16, when he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down, and he cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. So he's, he's growing up, and at 16, he really starts to seek God. And then at age 20, he starts to take action, and he's purging the nation of these pagan gods. He's removing the high places. He's stopping those detestable practices of prostitution and child sacrifice. And he's, he's making a statement. He's saying, no, our nation will go a different way. Our nation will choose a different way. In verse 8, it continues. In his 18th year, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple. He sent Shaphan, son of Aziliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. 
So not only is he getting rid of the pagan gods, now he's repairing the temple. He's actively pursuing God. He's using his influence as king to lead his nation closer to God. I think that's a really interesting point in our lives as we try to change, as we try to um, take something that we don't like about ourselves and maybe it's a bad habit or, or something like that and we try to change, we have to replace it with something good. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, let's, let's get rid of the pagan gods and let's follow this way. Let's follow the way of the one true God. Verse 14, the story continues. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. Now, if you know the story of the Israelites, so God did this mighty, mighty act of bringing Israel out of Egypt. Um, and, he, and he conquered, he defeated the Egyptian army and brought them to Mount Sinai. And this giant, um, just amazing scene with thunder and lightning and clouds. You hear the voice of God speaking through to Moses, and God gives the law to Moses. And this was their treasured possession. This is how they were going to um, follow God. And they kept it, um, the priests read from it, they kept it in the, um, in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, and they'd carried it generation, generation with them. And here we read, they found the book of the law. The book had been lost. This treasured possession given to them by God had been shoved aside, forgotten in some pile in the temple. And they had, they had lost it. And, and I have to ask the question, how is it possible for God's people to lose his word? Like, how is that possible? How do they forget everything that God has done for them? I'm going to come back to that question because I think that's a powerful question in our lives to also be asking. And the story continues in verse 16. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted to the supervisors and the workers. So all the work is going well. And then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the king, excuse me. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah and Achim, son of Shaphan, and Abdan, son of Micah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the, the king's attendant. He said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. So they bring this lost book to Josiah and they read it to him and he tears his robes and that's a sign of just like of, of great distress and grief. And he says, no, 
Israel, we have broken the covenant. We have, we have violated the covenant. We, we are in the wrong, and we've seen this happen over and over, and the consequences are coming. He knows the consequences are coming. It's interesting to me, it's on a side note here, that Josiah doesn't get it all defensive. If I were Josiah, I'd be a little bit defensive, like, well, I didn't do any of that. That was my, my father. Those were my forefathers. And it's interesting, um, just culturally speaking, we come from a, a very individualistic culture. Um, their culture had much more of a collective identity. So he was a part of the nation, and the nation acted kind of as a whole. And so he recognized that the nation of God had done wrong. And so he knows that the nation um, ha- has not kept their end of the bargain. And so he, he asked his, his people to go inquire of the Lord and ask, what is the consequence of breaking this covenant. Tell me what's what's about to happen. So verse 22. Hilkiah, the priest, and, the, and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, Shalom, son of Tohath, the son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. And she lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. It's interesting that they go to a woman, a woman prophet. We don't see a lot of women prophet in the Old Testament, but even in, in the male-dominated um, society, God spoke through women. And I think it's beautiful that, that they go to her, Huldah. And she said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and on its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made, and my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Basically, she says to them, what you fear is correct. God, God is um, God is going to discipline the nation of Israel. This is a really interesting part. Then she says, but tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace, and your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So she says, yes, consequences are coming, but because you followed God because your heart was responsive and because you humbled yourself, you will be spared from this. And then the last section of the story. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people from the least 
to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which have been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and degrees, decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. And so Josiah gathers the whole nation and he says, I have something to read to you. And, and I find it interesting that he himself stands up in front of the people and he reads the words of God to his people. And that normally would be something the priest did, but it's significant that he wanted to do that. He was standing up and he was saying, this is going to stop. And he was publicly saying, I choose God. I choose a different way. I want us to choose a different way. And it says that he gathered all the people from the least to the greatest. And sometimes, too often, we make distinctions between people. But God is a great equalizer. doesn't matter if they were least or, or greater in that, in that nation, in that community. Um, God values all people. And it says a relationship with God is for everyone. So from the least to the greatest, everyone come, everyone here, no one is excluded. Hear the words of God. And Josiah renews the covenant before the people. He's publicly saying, we will choose God. I will choose God. And then they celebrate the Passover for the first time in a long time as a nation. And the Passover was a symbol of God's great deliverance out of Egypt. And it's just beautiful foreshadowing of what Jesus did for us as Jesus delivers us out of our, our own bondage. And so this, to me, is a really interesting story, and there's a lot to it. We kind of went through it pretty fast there. But I want to ask, I I ask the questions. So what do we learn about Josiah? We learn that Josiah, in the face of great difficulty and a very messed up family legacy, he chooses God. He chooses God both for himself and for his nation. And what do we learn about God? God hears when we humble ourselves. God hears us when we have a responsive heart. God hears. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful message in the midst of very evil times that Josiah was was in. God hears when we choose him. God hears when we humble ourselves. And God wants us to choose him. God is almighty. He is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But he doesn't want to force anyone to choose him. He wants us to choose him and not to forget him. And, and, and he wants us to choose him in different aspects of our life, in our, in our personal life, in our family, in our churches, in our community. And so earlier we asked, how, it, how could the Israelites have forgotten God? How could the Israelites have forgotten the, 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 the word of God and lost that book? And we have the great advantage of, of reading scripture um, way after the time period. And so we have this overview of their history. We can, we're removed from it, and so we can see the patterns of their behaviors. But in our life, that's a lot harder to see that clearly. What are, what are our patterns 
What are my patterns of behavior? What are ways that I um, get distracted from God? What are ways that I forget God? And there, there are things in our lives that just get in the way of us remembering God and get in the way of us choosing God. Often what we value and what we believe in isn't completely reflected in how we behave our lives and what we do and what we say. So there's this disconnect between what we believe in sometimes and how we're actually living. And our lives are full. We get busy with the daily things and the weekly things, and we lose sight of God. If someone were to ask me, so what's most important to you? Your whole life, what's most important to you? I'd say God, my family, and my friends. Like those are those are the most important things to me. And yet with my relationship with God, there are seasons when I feel very distant from God. And there are seasons when um, I don't spend a lot of time with God. And there are seasons in my life where I, I go on living and I realize I didn't really even think about God. And if I'm being completely honest, there's been seasons in my life when I've gone so long without reading the Word of God that I didn't know where my Bible was. I lost the book of God. Now, with our phones, it's a little easier. We're not as likely to lose our phones, right? Because we have those all the time. So I don't lose my Bible, if you count that. But, but like, it happens in our lives where we get so distracted that we forget. We forget that that's the most important part of our life. My relationship with my family is so important to me. As uh, some of the ladies uh, just finished a book called um, Present Over Perfect by Shauna Nequist. And uh, it was a great book. In one section of the book, she described how she'd gotten so busy and she was working so much. She was giving everything, it's 110% to her job. And she would come home exhausted and that her family got the worst version of her the most exhausted version of her. I'm thinking, wow, that, that I had to stop. I had to set the book down for a minute. I was like, that happens sometimes in my life where we overextend ourselves. And so what's most important just gets, gets the leftovers. And then our relationship with our friends, our close friends especially, sometimes we're just too busy to connect. And that connection is so important. So like the Israelites who, who forgot their God and lost the book of the law, we, we also sometimes lose sight of God. And what's important in our lives gets kind of lost. It, it doesn't get prioritized. It's good to recognize the difficult things, but that's not where we're going we're gonna to leave today. Josiah had a choice, and we have that same choice. We don't have to be trapped in that kind of a lifestyle. We don't have to be frantic and busy all the time where we lose sight of what's important. We have a choice to choose something different. And that's why one of the reasons why I love this story. We have a choice to realign our priorities with God we have a choice um, to choose to focus 
on our relationship with God, to focus on our family, to focus on connecting with the people closest to us. We're not trapped. We're not, we're not um, hopeless in this. We have a choice. And I, for one, want to choose a better way for myself and for my family. I want to choose a better way because um, I don't want to live like that. And, and I would invite you guys to think about this choice because it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You've probably seen this illustration, but I want to do, I want to sh- do something for you because for me, this really helped kind of as a visual on priorities and, what, and the idea that we have a choice. So the jar represents our life. And in the jar, we put rocks, pebbles, and sand. And sand's the little stuff. Sand's the stuff that you get up in the morning and I think of, like the dishes that are in the sink that have to get done. Um, you know, the, the grocery shopping that has to get done, the emails that have to be red, the sand's all the little stuff. That's just, you, you have to get it done. It's urgent, okay? But it's not really that important to me. That's the sand. And then the pebbles, these are the things that also matter. I mean, like my job, uh, my car, my house. These are things that I need to take care of. They're more important than the little things. They need to, they, they need to happen, too. And then we have the big rocks. And the big rocks represent in our lives the things that really matter. The things that, um, if you were to ask, what is it that is most important to you? These are the big rocks. So this is like God and my family and my friends and spending time playing and resting. Um, These are the big things that I don't want to let go of. And when I fill my life, when we fill our lives, by first putting in the sand and then the pebbles and then the big rocks, we just don't have enough room for the things that matter. And those just, we just don't get to them. They slide through the cracks. But there's a different way that we can choose to fill our lives. And that's by taking the big rocks and putting them in the jar first. Prioritizing God, prioritizing our family, prioritizing our close friends that we want to connect with. These are the things that matter the most. They may not be, they may not feel like the most urgent in our lives, but these are the things that are really important to us. And when we prioritize those and put those in first, then we can take those pebbles, our jobs, our houses, our cars, and we can start putting those things in. And it's amazing how things start to fit in between the big rocks. And all those things that are urgent, they'll get done, or maybe they won't, and then you'll have dishes the next day, and that's probably okay too. It's amazing to me, because I'm like, is it really going to fit? That one didn't matter. (laughs) We're going to say that those are the weeds, maybe, that I didn't need to pull. The neighbors don't really care. 
But if we take in our lives, if we prioritize the big things first and we put them in and then we take the pebbles the the job and the house and the things that are important that we need and we fit them around the big things and then take the urgent and we do that last or we we do that after the big things have been taken care of we don't lose the big things jesus said in matthew 6 verse 33 he said first seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be given to you as well. What does it look like in our lives to prioritize and to choose God? To prioritize and to choose those important things first. I'd like to say that if we do that, then our lives will look as neat and pretty as that jar. I mean, you could even put that on a, on a shelf for decoration. I'd like to say that no pebbles will fall to the ground and, you know, everything will be easy. <laughs> and that's not the case. Even when we prioritize God, we'll still go through difficult times and life will still be messy sometimes, but we won't lose what's most important to us. We won't lose sight of what gives our life meanings. We may still be busy, but we don't have to be frantic about it. We may still go through difficult times, but our soul can find rest in God during those difficult times. If we choose God above all else, then we'll experience God's presence in our lives in a way that sustains us, that sustains us like nothing else can. It's a beautiful thing. It's not, um, it's not like a genie in a bottle and everything will go away, but it's... It's deeper than that. It's more real than that to experience God's presence in, in our life through everything that life throws at us. We also get to be a part of something greater than ourselves, a bigger story, God's story of redemption and healing in a broken world. And that to me is beautiful, to know that I'm a part. It's not just me and my little life and my little family, but to be a part of something where I'm... I'm an agent of healing in people's lives because I'm a part of God's story. For me, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So this week, I want us to to think about our priorities. What are the things that matter the most to you? And and look at our schedules and, and not let the sand and the pebbles cause us to lose sight of those big rocks not let the urgent take over and miss the most meaningful part of our lives, our relationship with God and our relationship with our families and our connections with our close friends. So let's experience God by choosing him this week. Let's pray about that. Dear God, we just thank you that you chose us. 
We thank you that you love us and that you want to be with us. And God, we, we admit, I admit in my life, God, that I don't always choose you, that I'm forgetful, and that I try to do my own thing. And God, I just come to you and I ask that you would help me this week, help us all this week to choose you, to choose what's most important first, and to fit all the other things in after that. God, we thank you for your constant love. We thank you for your constant faithfulness. God, we thank you for a soft place to land when life is crazy around us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.